Hello, we've probably not done this in a while to be fair, but we're back, Le Funny Podcast, uh, Marley Forge Boomer Show, Nero aka Oren Forge here, and I'm joined by James. Yeah, aka Brexit Boomer, but it's been a while, you may recognise us from a while ago, but we, uh, we have returned. So yeah, I might just do this as like a season two comeback really, but yeah, <laughs> but uh. I don't know. We need to get started somewhere. So I'm assuming you wanted to talk about uh, Lefani Wagner Group. But uh, yeah, I don't know where to start on that specifically. But um, Prigozhin kind of dead. Uh, <laughs> I don't really. I've kind of done basically a new project for me as well that I've started. It's a YouTube channel where I'm talk- covering about current current affairs specifically geopolitics and politics and possibly some vlogs vlogs and all that but yeah regardless one of the main talking points i kind of talked about is uh how russia relies on wagner for geopolitical interests really but um i don't know what your opinion is james on um the loss of prigozhin but we'll see we'll see i I, that i'm I'm just opening up the floor now really yeah i mean it's a weird one because um, when you actually look into it, he is a war hero. Um, well, of sorts. He, uh, he war criminal, yeah. In, well, war criminal is probably the best way to put it, actually. Yeah. He, uh, he fought in Ukraine in 2014 um, and uh, received awards from the Kremlin. Went from that to leading a, a coup only a few weeks ago, and now he, uh, now he no longer exists. It's a very yeah, strange uh, turn of events. I know, strange, right? It's a bit convenient that his um, plane crashed after um, just doing a coup a few weeks ago. But um, <laughs> I don't know where to start with this, really. But um, I, do we really want to go over the brief history of the Wagner Group? Or do, like, because I don't know about you, but it's always interesting to kind of talk about it. it yeah, I mean, I was looking into it. It's, it's, it's a weird one because... Um, I was actually looking up the reason why it's called the Wagner Group. Um, apparently, it's actually named after Hitler's favorite composer, which is a really, really strange, um, really, really strange little fact. Bear in mind um, the war in Ukraine this time round. Uh, the sort of the Russians have tried to portray it as they're fighting against Nazis and the far right. Yeah, so denazifying the whole of Ukraine. Yeah, it's yeah. strange that they're working with a mercenary group, which is literally named after Hitler's favorite composer. And that I've read somewhere sense. as well that um, the founder of the Wagner Group, he literally made his call sign Wagner. Uh, mm. He's called Utkin. He used to be part of the Slavonic Corps, which were basically another private military company based out of Hong Kong. They fought in Syria alongside the Syrian government. And then mm. basically that guy you can uh, created Wagner with Prigozhin specifically, so mm. uh, that that's the origins of it really. It's, uh, I mean, it, Prigozhin's it history is even mm. more funnier. To be fair, the guys are well, literally it, a criminal. <laughs> well, it's really weird with him as well because apparently, um, it's been reported that he's got numerous Nazi tattoos, including swastikas and SS lightning bolts and stuff. Oh, Prigozhin, which is, yeah. Um, and he's sort of seen as the co-founder of the group. That so again, it's just sort of very hip, very, I don't know, uh, it's, it's a very strange um, 
very strange set of circumstances that somebody who is literally covered in Nazi tattoos apparently um, is so called fighting against so called Nazis in Ukraine. Which I, I find funny with the contradiction sense. really of for this whole. Mm. It's an invasion, but the Russians like to call it a special military operation. But just just for the mm. sake of not calling it a war, uh, probably on the basis that if they do call it a war, they'll probably um, how to describe this. The entire international community will just hate them. <laughs> but mm. um, it, it's yeah, it, it. I kind of talked about it in my latest video. It. I mean, my new po politics channel. Uh, yeah. Neuroiberio, if you want to check it out, politics, geopolitics, mm. and the world. I kind of do briefly talk about the history of it. So I think for me, I talk about a massive escalation point with the Ukraine war specifically was 2014, and how Putin wanted to bring in Viktor Yevkanovich in as basically a puppet ruler for Ukraine. And then uh, the Ukrainian people pretty much just stood up, did a revolution, and kicked him out. It, it's, yeah. It's a weird one. I mean, I'm not sure if you've seen as well, James, um, Putin's weird academic article. It's on the historical relationship between Russians and Ukrainians. It's something like that. But um, mm. it it's on the Kremlin website. It basically details Putin's whole thought process behind the existence of Ukraine. One of his talking points is basically Ukraine shouldn't exist. They're a bunch of Nazis. I mean, that's literally his talking point when he declared the the invasion. So I, I just find the irony of Wagner existing as well a massive contradiction mm. to what Putin is saying. Like, there's yeah, nothing I mean, to it, really it, say about it. It'd really, be interesting to see what happens next. So, because the reports are now that, um, I mean, apparently Prigozhin was saying before he was killed that in in the event that he, he does die, there are um, systems in place. Um, for his death, for, for sort of, I, I think it sort of measures for the for the Wagner group to rise up again. So you might end up seeing a full scale coup coming from them soon. Um, but nobody knows what the plans are, obviously, except from the Wagner group. Yeah. So that could be very interesting. But I mean, he said that knowing full well that he was going to be assassinated. I think we all knew that, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I mean. Um, <laughs> You, you, the, the basically like I did talk about this in my video previously uh, is coup proofing as a method for dictators where they try mm. and pit other groups against each other. I mean, the FSB's role is literally to spy on the military and political opponents. I mean, we've seen that with um, what was it the poisoning of was it Navalny? I can't remember now, but I remember that happening. Uh, but, oh, um, yeah. yeah. There's been a couple of instances, hasn't it? I mean, it was only a couple of weeks ago as well um, that we found out about the, I think it's like the opposition leader in Russia, uh, yeah. the leader of the other political party who has been arrested again. Because um, I think it was only last year that he actually was hospitalized in Germany, I think it was, because it, it was uh, suspected that he'd been poisoned. So, I mean, it's just typical, typical sort of Russia. Um, strong you know, anybody yeah. anybody who you know says, speaks out against them or has an alternative system of government just gets poisoned or mysteriously disappears or their plane just comes down out of the sky yeah um, that's crazy but we can get back to that but um i'm not sure about you but one video i did talk uh I did watch earlier was by the Associated Press about the coup in Niger i mean it's kind of obvious that um Russia has interest in West Africa specifically. That's mm. obvious. Um, but I'm not sure about you on this opinion, but I don't think uh, 
well, the leadership of Wagner's gone, but I'd still be under the opinion that Wagner will exist in some way, shape, or form specifically. Either that would mm. be like Putin will give it to his allies. I've kind of talked about that, or they'll he'll divide up Wagner across multiple groups or give it to the military. I mean, uh, mm. I pretty much made the argumentation that um, yeah, we 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 got rid of Wagner's leadership, but the whole existence of Wagner can be given out to loyal supporters either as like a prize or like a, I don't know, something to nurture weirdly. So uh, that's an interesting point that I, it does seem like we're both going in that direction. I'm not sure about you mm. though. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they clearly have a massive interest in it. Um, I mean, I was reading about it and they said, uh, you know, after the death of Prigozhin, um, so the, the so Russian social media channels, uh, mainly the Wagner group, who were posting so much misinformation about uh, Niger, have um, gone quiet a little bit. But then apparently the official sort of Russian channels have just continued and continued, um, really showing that they've got a massive interest in it. But it's difficult at the moment because I know the neighbouring countries in Africa um, have condemned the coup and I've been looking at taking yeah, military EOS. action against uh, them but they, they haven't they might, had yeah they, yeah, might they do haven't like had military action yeah mm. and they don't have the support at the moment to do anything so it's kind of just been allowed to carry on by itself i mean i do remember the other week the democratically elected leader who uh, the coup was against has been declared um i think he was declared a traitor yeah um, and he, he's basically uh in, been held captive at the moment He's basically um, under house arrest, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which, which isn't great at all. I mean, it, it's for me, it's, I think it's very similar to what happened in Greece with the uh, with the royal family. Uh, yeah. But when the king was was captured, and he basically just had to, he had a decision whether or not to uh, legitimise the the coup and approve it as a new government. And I think the same thing here that yeah. they had to do it to be honest, because if you're in that situation, if you're going to turn around and say no, I don't recognise it as an official state you're probably going to end up getting killed let's face it that that's that's pretty yeah. much the the end result of it so you, i think he's just biding his time and trying to appease them as long as he can to you know to keep himself alive i mean if we're talking about the geopolitics of it specifically we i mean we both kind of briefly talked about it but like france and the eu are kind of reliant on niger's uranium deposit and as well mm. mali had a coup back in around uh 2020 2021 uh they're reliant on their mineral resources specifically i mean russia's whole point about france still being in west africa is basically it's neocolonialism i mean a bit ironic coming from them really <laughs> you know embedding wagner into west african states and overthrowing governments i mean there's literally a whole reason in wagner right all the citizens there are flagging russian uh, flying russian flags it is basically you know Wagner ha overthrew the government if we're being honest I mean <laughs> it's not confirmed but it's kind of obvious it, 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 it wouldn't about it. wouldn't surprise me and I think yeah if it is the case it is I mean we have you know western countries like American condemning it and stuff yeah but it is quite hypocritical because I think we all know uh what there's Russia been a does. lot of yeah. there's been a lot of regimes that America has had a hand in overthrowing yeah um with its sort of similar techniques to russia where they do it sort of internally um rather than just all-out military action it's 
stuff behind closed doors and secret meetings yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, it's um, all geopolitics. It's basically yeah. like, if we're going to talk about the Banana Republics in uh, South America, of which the CIA, it has been confirmed in declassified documents, so they did overthrow governments in, like, Guatemala, for example. Mm. They literally had a hand on that just to try and stop Soviet influence in South America and the spread mm. of communism. It's pretty it, much it, the same here, really. Yeah, Russia's it, just it, trying it, to stop Western expansion uh, it's one of the mm. reasons for the war. They don't agree with Ukraine joining the EU and NATO, possibly due to the fact that, well, NATO's going to be closer to their borders. Unironic, really, but basically the invasion just accelerated Ukraine joining NATO once this war is over, Oh, really. he's, he's yeah. absolutely pushed them into it now. Um, and I, I, as much as I understand the reason why NATO is stalling, um, because, we, we, I mean, I think we all know they could very much speed up the process and just yes, accept into NATO tomorrow if they wanted to but it's the we weird, don't know why they're stalling article because, 10 where yeah, if you join I mean, NATO you should technically declare war on whoever's already declared war on so that's probably a reason why exactly. but yeah. I think you know NATO's biding its time and I think with everyone we'd much rather wait for the war to hopefully end before yeah. we allow them in because if not then the whole of NATO will then have to declare war on Russia and that's it's not going to be fun for anyone, to be yeah. honest. I mean, speaking of which, have you not seen in the news lately that um, it's Denmark, I think, Sweden, and uh, the Netherlands are going to be sending F-16s over? Which is basically what mm. was on um, the Ukrainian buy list for Western equipment. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, they're, they're doing really well with aid. And I think, coming, coming to what, what we've given them as a country... Yeah. Challenge I, I was listening the other day and um, it, it, quite controversial. One of, I think it was our uh, defence minister or home secretary, no, not the home secretary, the defence minister, yeah. who had gone over to to visit Ukraine. Uh, and, and Zelensky, who obviously they, they've drawn up this list of things that they that they want and they need to win the war. Uh, and, and apparently our defence minister had just said, uh, you know, uh, who do you think we are, Amazon? <laughs> and it's like I, it's a little bit funny but it is very very bad taste very yeah. very bad taste um, uh, uh, not to sidetrack it but I think that kind of shows how sort of heartless our government can appear at times yeah. they just seem to make a joke out of everything and you know some of the serious is a country Eight defending its, country itself against war, yeah. a massive aggressor to turn up and basically say oh yeah we'll help you out but you know, we're not bloody Amazon. Don't give don't us a list of everything. Stuff. Yeah, it's like oh, okay then. <laughs> I mean, it's the irony is the fact of like um, what was it? Germany stalled giving out equipment, but that was uh, what was it? Leopard two tanks, but then basically Poland and all that were saying we really need to send this equipment over to Ukraine, and that pretty much I mean, pushed the. Them yeah, onto the I, edge. I mean, I mean, they they've got reason to. Because obviously, because they're, they're neighbouring with Ukraine, so it, yeah. it makes sense. Um, it, it, it's one of them, but they they have a massive interest in stopping the war because if Ukraine ends up falling, uh, I, it really wouldn't surprise me if Russia would continue and then start trying to push into the the neighbouring countries as well. Oh um, yeah, speaking of which, um, we, we have no reason to yeah. believe that they would just stop after Ukraine. It's the concept of a greater Russia. Uh, I'm not sure if you've mm. heard of a state in Moldova called Transnistria. It has Russian yeah, troops yeah. in it. Uh, it's very allied with Russia. 
Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Putin's goal was probably to try and invade Ukraine as far as Transnistria and mm. basically just regain what was the old Soviet Union slash the Russian Empire. Because mm. he does detail that extensively in um, his little funny article, unironically. I mean, he basically makes the argumentation that Ukrainians aren't Slavs, weirdly, for mm. some reason. They're not Muscovites. Uh, Russia is basically going to be their hegemon. That's his argumentation point. Mm. And it, it it's terrifying. Uh, the f- fact that... I don't know about you, but like, wasn't it like 20 years ago when Putin was advocating for join- to joining NATO? And now we're at mm. this weird point where Rus- Russia is basically a ultra-nationalistic, uh, militaristic state. It's weird. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I know one, one of the big reasons that people don't really talk about, one of, one of the big reasons why, um, well, that's apparently been given as to why they've started invading Ukraine, is because it has a lot of um, historical and religious significance. Yeah, I mean, he details in that in the article. Yeah, yeah, yeah a, lot, a lot of uh, religious artifacts and historical artifacts which are in Ukraine, Ukraine which obviously when Ukraine used to be part of Russia of the Soviet Union yeah um you know that they, they've lost that once Ukraine claimed independence um you know there's certain churches where I think it's actually the I've, I've like the body or the artifacts associated with what Putin sees as the founder of Russia and the Soviet Union yeah it's uh, like they're important they're, they to like the Orthodox Russian church yeah, yeah. they're contained inside a, a Ukrainian church. So I think that, that that's one of the other big drivers is, is to try and get back those artifacts. I mean, but it's not going to help you if you're going to be bombing these cities and no, you know, probably going to lose not. these artifacts anyway. Absolutely not. They're, they're not going about it in a careful, calculated way. They're literally yeah. just... It's just chaos uh, war. It's you know, very similar to the, the, the Nazi um, the Nazi tactic of Blitzkrieg. Yeah. It's just shoving thou- hundreds of thousands of troops into an area and then just firing bombardments of missiles and bombs and i mean the irony is the maneuver warfare part backfired at the start of the war where they tried to take Mm. kiev but didn't have supply lines so that's why we're in this weird stalemate entrenchment world war one start warfare moving Mm. away from world war ii blitzkrieg maneuver tactics is kind of funny but like yeah it's (laughs) i i don't know where to start with talking about the war specifically but like wagner specifically works what in Bakhmut is where the majority of their operations were they were mm. with the military uh, the military's threat specifically because of supplies does seem like yeah it was obvious the military and Wagner were fighting each other Putin kind of let that happen because it's a coup proofing method but uh I could talk about coup proofing a bit later down the line in the podcast because it's an interesting mm. thing to talk about really yeah it's um I think one of the biggest differences that I've noticed, though, is that the Ukrainian forces uh, and, you know, the Allied forces that are sort of joined them. But when I say that, obviously, it's not official forces yeah. from our countries, but we've had a lot of people, especially from Britain as well, who've decided just to independently go over there and fight. And, but, but what we've noticed, what I've noticed anyway, is that the Ukrainian forces tend to have a much more modernised approach. You know, yeah. they're using very... Uh, high um technical technological equipment like drones is one of the biggest things that that's been in the news and that's worked out really well for him i mean they had a sea drone that took out an entire russian destroyer um yeah. which is you know, crazy you know and, and you've even seen how 
had drones that went all up through all the way to Moscow, Moscow yeah. to try and blow up the uh, the Kremlin. And it's, it, I think that is the big difference that's helping the Ukrainians at the moment. Uh, as Russia's still in, sort of set in this old style of war, where Cold it's war warfare, you know, just, yeah. just numbers. We we have hundreds of tanks, we have hundreds, hundreds of thousands of soldiers with it, and I think they're just playing the numbers game. But yeah. you look at the casualties, uh, casualties wise, and Russia does have the numbers casualties wise, <laughs> and it's really not worked out for him so far. I mean, there's a known reality with Russia. It was mentioned in a BBC article specifically about casualties where the Russian state or the Soviet Union, uh, specifically in World War Two, would be trying to pl- downplay the casualties specifically. So there are estimates from the BBC counting something in the thousands mm. versus what uh, Russia is saying is probably in the thousands, but less. It's like mm. how um, uh, one Russian widow was going to specifically to the records office to figure out what happened with his husband or his son didn't get anything from them but yeah russia's trying to hide the casualty numbers probably for morale reasons specifically but i mean russian state media just in general downplays the war entirely saying it's a success but really I, i guarantee you now russian citizens don't know the actual reality of what's going on no absolutely i mean to be honest i i don't there's a lot of true information being given out Russian citizens in general, not just about the war. Yeah. But uh, again, with this whole sort of discord about uh, the fighting against a rise in Nazism, yeah. um, which is completely wrong. Uh, but, you know, I think there's there's a fair amount of the Russian population who actually believe that because, you know, that that's all what they're hearing from their government and from yeah. their soldiers, um, which is, is a very dangerous, dangerous uh, place to be in Russia. Of all the misinformation, but I think for me, I mean, comparing it to um, you know, sort of World War Two when the Nazis were trying to invade Russia, one of the reasons why they lost was because um, trying to fight against a country that's defending itself, uh, especially when you're an aggressor who you know brutally treats uh, captured soldiers uh, and citizens and stuff like that, you're almost always going to lose. And it's similar yeah. now with Ukraine where. They literally have nothing to lose, you know, uh, except from everything. Mm, um, yeah. So that they won't stop for anything. Whereas Russian soldiers, and you know, a big portion of them are conscripts. They don't want to be there. They don't really have any reason exactly, to be yeah. fighting Ukrainians. So just from the willpower sort of stance, it, it's always going to be difficult for Russia to beat the Ukrainian forces because they don't. The vast majority of them, I would say, don't want it as much as ukrainians want to defend their country yeah and then you have to remember as well that ukrainian troops are also on their own home turf so they'll know exactly about the terrain the the guerrilla warfare how to actually fight the russians hit and run tactics etc russia will be basically going into it blind it's basically the same as when well when russia was the soviet union and invaded afghanistan they didn't know what the hell they were doing (laughs) and a bit bit similar to you know um uh, you know, America, uh, America's sort of fighting in Vietnam. Yeah. And um, you know, you always find that that the locals have an upper hand, which is you know logically correct anyway. Yeah. But it is because they know the area, and and even the the smallest of things um, that you sort of see a bit like uh, Britain when we thought we were going to be invaded in nineteen in, in the nineteen forties, 
stuff like destroying street signs and railway signs and I, I'm assuming the Ukrainians will, will have done the same yeah. um, so even if Russians you know, are using maps and stuff like that it's still difficult for them to know where they are because throw them all of balance, the signage yeah. has just been completely destroyed so I think that the Ukrainians at this point I do think have the upper hand yeah. uh, with, with all of the aid that's behind them and the technology and, and the willpower think russia has very quickly lost its upper hand in this um it'll be interesting to see what they do next in regards to the ukrainian war because it can't stay the way it is at the moment or else i do believe they will lose yeah i mean um one thing i'm personally interested about probably just to the fact that i'm a filipino is i'm interested in how china is looking at this war and how closely they are because obviously there's the whole situation with taiwan or as mm. the CCP would call it, Chinese Taipei. It, they claim it's basically a rogue province. But yeah, yeah they're probably looking at this war very closely uh, just to see what's happening because the way the inter- international community will obviously react to the war is a way that China can play off of and they, they can find a way to, you know, mess about with Taiwan. That's usually what's going to happen here just based on the be- geopolitics of it. I mean, for example, if we're looking at the United States being more focused more on Ukraine and less on, like, let's say, the South China Sea or the Pacific in general, China will probably try and take advantage of that. Like, it's it, it's something that just will happen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they've got a massive interest in Taiwan. Um, yeah. Because I think it's... Uh, what is it now? I think it's sort of... Um... Like computer chips, the vast majority of superconductors. Yeah, yeah, they're all made in Taiwan out of that tiny little, uh, tiny little area. And that um, probably will be something I want to cover down later down the line on my mm, channel specifically, because yeah. that that is one way that Taiwan maintains its influence around the globe. I mean, mm. if you think about it, with superconductors, chips, etc., all of that is needed in computer technology. All of that is needed in military hardware. So let's say you're developing new tanks or something. That's mm. something you're going to be relying on Taiwan for. It's the one thing that kind of keeps them relevant on the world stage. And it's oh, probably absolutely. why the United States has an interest and why China kind of can't really flatten them per se. But yeah, I, I guarantee you now that like an invasion of Taiwan will probably cause another global chip shortage, which we kind of did see a few years back. But as in, like, you can't probably get a new computer. <laughs> but, um, no more yeah. gaming. No more gaming. No more games. No more League. Sag. No Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm wondering where to go from here. I do want to talk about coup-proofing a bit, unless you have something to talk about, James. No, no, go for it. Right, so one thing I've been looking at specifically is... It's an amazing article by Sudeth. I did cite it as a a source so you can probably check out the google document for it if you are listening but um basically uh it details extensively how uh one thing that military uh dictatorships well dictatorships in general rely on is uh, in essence yes they do rely on strong military for example i mean nazi germany was literally an authoritarian state but they also had strong military but it does talk about how these groups are specifically as dictators want to try and stop military officers for example to try and 
cause coups. I mean, we saw that with like Gaddafi, we saw that with Saddam Hussein. So um, one thing it talks about extensively is I did speak about it previously was uh, intelligence organizations that do spy on opponents as well as politicians and keeping others in check. But it does mention paramilitary groups as well, for example. Uh, I mean, I did mention this, but like the SS, for example, pretty powerful paramilitary group in parallel with the Wehrmacht. It, it, mm-hmm. it was literally there to stop coups. Uh, probably another reason why the SS also got rid of the SA early on before the Nazis came to power. It's it's basically all about trying to maintain ta- power and loyalty. I mean, yeah, that that that's a terrifying aspect that I think about with the FSB specifically. It's not necessarily just a spy on an organization, but it also is one that can be seen as like a paramilitary group that you know can be every anywhere and everywhere. The same mm-hmm. really with Wagner uh, before they, well, they still technically do exist, but the question would be what's going to happen with them will they collapse i personally am under the opinion no they will exist in some form or multiple forms uh one thing this article did mention as well was um if you have multiple competing organizations that are divided and they are spying on each other that is something that uh someone like putin can take advantage of so it wouldn't surprise me if wagner in some way shape or form is divided up let's say like five ten times uh, mm. in terms of fighters I mean, it could be Wagner could be divided based up on country, region, etc. In Africa, something that could happen. But um, yeah, it it's just an interesting theory I have about what's going to happen with Wagner specifically. Mm. Uh, I, I like to. I mean, we've heard about these apparent sort of contingency plans. Yeah. Uh, if the Wagner leader dies. Uh, but it's not just him, I think it's, it's a deputy leader as well, and yeah. a couple of other high-ranking Wagner officials. So, I mean, be interesting to see what happens now. Because, say, for example, um, the Wagner group doesn't you know, fight against the, the, the Russian sort of government now, and, and they don't do a coup, which would be like the extreme uh, response. But say, say they just refuse to continue fighting alongside them. That yeah. would make a massive, massive difference to the war in Ukraine. Um, not not just numbers-wise, but also technology-wise, because the Wagner Group does tend to have a lot of um, very high-tech equipment mm. uh, and vehicles that the Russians, Russian government does use. I mean, so, we did see in the coup, like, for example, tanks rolling down streets and mm. armoured fighting vehicles. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just a weird one. Uh, to talk about really because what really is the question is where does Wagner go from here without its leadership absolutely do they have the numbers to make to you know overthrow the Russian leadership yeah I, I, who knows who knows I mean it's estimated that they have around a thousand fighters in Mali specifically same number in around Niger specifically I mean, mm. it's also amusing as well that um, the government in Niger, uh, the military junta, when they did kick out uh, the French and the UN peacekeepers, they were replaced by Wagner fighters. But in essence, in essence, what it was ratio-wise was, let's say, there was one Wagner fighter to 10 French troops. Mm. So, I mean, as well as the Americans getting kicked out, 
uh, there specifically. The reason France was there as well as the US was they were fighting Islamist groups. They were fighting ISIS. They were fighting Al Qaeda mm. specifically. And then uh, obviously, what this military junta does in Niger is going to be dependent on how what Russia also does as well. It, it is said in the news in the BBC that it is a very unstable country at the moment. The northern regions mm. do have separatists. They do have Al-Qaeda just existing in the desert as well as ISIS. So that's going to pose more questions to what Putin wants to do in Africa specifically because he is specifically there for resources. France's main mm. interest specifically is obviously going to be those uranium deposits that they specifically really want in Niger. They're reliant the EU and France are heavily reliant on Niger's uh, uranium deposits just on the basis of nuclear power. So that's uh, something to look about but for specifically. Yeah, absolutely. It's very interesting um, to see where that's going to go because, uh, as I mentioned before, there is, um, you know, the sort of community of the local, of the uh, neighbouring countries down yeah. there who absolutely condemn the coup and want to take military action, but at the, pre- at the present time, they don't have the numbers or the support to do anything. So it, if they do get that support, that could end up becoming a massive, massive issue down there. Uh, it may end up and uh, you know seeing a civil war breaking out. Yeah. Uh, but then also a war across the other countries as well who get involved. And that's something um, I'm really fascinated about because... Um... Obviously, if a group like ECOWAS is considering military action, it wouldn't surprise me if the United States or uh, France wants to get involved, or even the EU in a ho- as a whole, with military mm. action. I mm. mean, we did see France beforehand with uh, countries like in the Sahel as well, which is what Niger and Mali are part of. It's a well-known, unstable region. Uh, but basically, what happened was France did... in did do military intervention in the Central African Republic a while back. Uh, Basically, a military dictator, uh, you know, through a coup. Then he got overthrew by the French government specifically. But Mm. the fact here is Russia's going to have a bigger role in this if there is some form of military intervention. Does that divide resources for Ukraine? Does that put uh, Wagner more in a, an extensive role despite losing their leadership that is something to look out for because russia's main interest is obviously going to be trying to keep this military government in power in niger mm. specifically absolutely because i mean they're, they're much more likely to be sympathetic to uh to russian mor- yeah. uh, russian principles than uh, you know than a de- democratically elected government yeah i mean yeah uh, I mean, Wagner also has its fingers in Mali as well, specifically. That is another country that is at odds with ECOWAS specifically. Mm-hmm. That also does seem to be a country as well that is willing to back Niger specifically. There are other states where there are like... I mean, this is the history here we'll run about. It's a very unstable region. It is known for its military coups specifically. So mm-hmm. that's something to look out for. I, I mean, I just genuinely think ECOWAS in general probably a leader in the region like nigeria is probably going to be trying to lead ecowas into some form of military intervention probably backed by the u.s and france uh countries like burkina faso niger and mali are probably going to try and back each other here so it's something to look out for it might be something that might destabilize the destabilize the region further so that's something to be worried about specifically i mean 
when we look at destabilization, like the Middle East, specifically groups like ISIS to take advantage of that as well. I mean, it's mm. probably why ISIS had the size of England or the UK specifically, which is something that's a terrifying thought. But um, yeah, that's my kind of in general geopolitical take on it. There's nothing mm. really, not much to say about Africa in general. But um, I'm not sure if you if you have anything further to say because I'm pretty much out on that now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I'm the same. To be honest, it's just uh, I think it's just one of them where we've got to sort of keep our eye on it and then see how it develops. Uh, you know, very similar to the Russia-Ukraine situation. It's one of them where we, I think we've sort of talked about as much as we can for now. But I think there's definitely going to be some interesting developments in the in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. So I guess with like this episode for season two we'll probably wear that then so um yeah i'll guess we'll be wrapping this up then all right see you perfect all right